Hello, and welcome to the season four premiere of Voices the Podcast. My name is Brian Ward, and today we are talking with Christina Cook, who is the host of the Bro Girl Society, as well as the co-host of the Bet Free Life. Now, I was able to meet Christina in Boston last year and just had a really good conversation with her, and I'm really excited to be able to share her journey today. So join us for Voices the podcast. Hi, Christina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing just fine. It's been uh, kind of an interesting last, you know, half of the year. Um, We were able to really meet face to face in Boston for kind of the first time. We've been able to have a couple conversations around that kind of adjacent. Um, but since then, we've been able to touch base a few times, which has been really nice. And I really do want to thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast and and talk to us a little bit. Yeah, I absolutely appreciate being asked to come on to your podcast and, and talk about gambling harm. And uh, Boston was a great experience to be able to meet all these faces in person and, you know, be able to advocate for problem gambling. Absolutely. Um so at the at the kind of top, I like to give people the platform to just share their experience, right? What what got you to where you are today? Um, and and then we'll kind of go from there. I can give you the Cliff Notes version because it feels like there's so many years of my story and and I've told it a few times now, but every time I tell it, it's interesting because I remember more about kind of the journey, like I've always kind of, you know, given a point A to point B version of my story, but there's just so much in it, you know, after I gambled for 15 years, and there's a lot of like, bad mixed into that. And so it's it's really hard to like encompass my story and the history of my story, but it really pretty much started, I started gambling, roughly around 28. um, Which might be kind of late onset gambling, but where I am in Oklahoma, casinos really didn't start popping up until the early 2000s. And so it wasn't like I had this generational pull of gambling. Uh, There wasn't like really a history of gambling there. I'd been to Vegas a few times before that and was like, eh, I could take it or leave it. Like one time I went to Vegas, I didn't even gamble. Um, So it's interesting how the journey started for me, but I was 28. I found myself divorced, uh, relatively young and I didn't have children. My friends were all married or getting married, having babies, you know, it was just that kind of life. And I just really felt out of place with it. Um, and so the casino had just opened up from just like literally five miles down the road. And, um, and so I went, you know, I, I had gone a few times with like girls night and, you know, those types of things. And again, it was one of those take it or leave it kind of situations. So it never even occurred to me that this could start something, you know. So I'd go up there. I wasn't somebody for the bar. So it was nice to just have a safe place to go entertain myself for a little bit and, you know, not have to worry about any of the craziness that happens at the bars. And so it, you know, and there for a while, you know, the first half of that 15 years that I gambled, I did it 
I would say responsibly enough, I guess, by maybe industry terms. Um, so, you know, I was paying my bills and I was still, you know, do, having a life outside of gambling. But in that period of time, and it was probably roughly around 35, and of course, this is just kind of the Cliff Notes timeline version, but it was roughly around 35 that I, um, that things started to transition for me. I was in a very um, verbally and mentally abusive relationship, and I wasn't handling or processing it well. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could, and this is something that, that I've learned in recovery. I've never been able to speak my truth. I've never been able to really communicate how I was feeling or whether something was impacting me. And, you know, so I was in this, this abusive relationship. And so I found myself gambling more to kind of escape the mental abuse and, and things like that. And it became this coping mechanism. And yeah, it was about 35, about halfway, you know, about seven years into, into my gambling journey that it, it started to transition into prob problematic gambling or problem gambling. And then just, I can, it just progressively got worse to the point where it was causing me financial harm. It was causing me harm in several aspects of my life. And so I, I continued uh, until I was 42 years old. And at 42 years old, I had my, my rock bottom moment. And I knew something had to change. I didn't want my life to continue anymore. And I, you know, I say I didn't want my life to continue anymore because I had the suicidal uh, thoughts and, you know, planning it and things like that because I thought there was no hope for me. But at the, at the same time, it's like I didn't really want my life to end. I wanted the addiction to end. And I wanted the life that addiction had created for me to, to stop. And, you know, it was in that moment I was really, really broke girl, not just financially, but, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, in every sense of the word, uh, I was broke by my gambling addiction. And so, yeah, that started the journey of, of recovery for me. And what, what did that journey early on look like for you? Um, a lot of people, you know, they might go to a meeting, they might try meetings or counseling. So I'm curious what you, what your journey was like. Yeah. And what's interesting for me is that I didn't really understand addiction. I, I was one of those people that would see somebody on the side of the road, you know, who obviously was struggling with addiction. And I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, why are they, you know, and I hate to say that, but you know, I always felt like I've been an empathetic person, but it took finding recovery to make me realize I wasn't as empathetic as I thought I was. Um, and so I didn't really have this understanding of addiction. I didn't really connect with addiction because I, I hadn't seen it in my life, you know, as far as like with friends and family. So it, it took me longer than probably most to connect with addiction. Um, and it honestly took me watching a show about eating, like eating addiction or food addiction to make me connect with my addiction to gambling. And so once, you know, these thoughts and these pieces started to kind of come together, you know, and I had my last bet the night of my last bet or the morning of my last bet, 
I knew that I had to figure out something. I had to find something that was going to help me. Um, and I went to my mom and I finally told her the truth of my addiction. And she thought I had stopped going like we used to go together. And she, you know, I told her, oh, I've got to stop this, you know, and she thought I had stopped. And, you know, the realization that I hadn't was very hurtful to her. But she had known somebody that had gone to GA. And so she was able to kind of talk to me about that and, you know, just be my support system and say, we're going to figure this out. And so it was about a week after my last bet that I found myself in a GA meeting for the first time. And that was a really amazing experience for me because that was the first time I was in a space where somebody absolutely understood how I was feeling. And, you know, I'm sure anybody in recovery who's gone to a first meeting or, or talked to a peer recovery support specialist, um, to know that somebody else is hearing you and understanding you and had the same behaviors and actions and struggles that you had is profound. It's life-changing. And so in that moment, you know, my life was changed because I knew that I wasn't alone. I knew that there was hope and I knew that I could overcome because even though it was a room full of men, they had 10 years of recovery and five years of recovery. And I knew that it was possible for me. But what I also knew leaving that meeting is that I was going to need so much more than sitting in a room full of men reading out of a yellow book. So yes, it was, it was helpful for me and I can continue to do my GA meetings for a year. Um, and it gave me this kind of mile marker of like, I'm going in the right direction. I'm, you know, I needed commitment. I needed things that were just going to keep me going forward. And so GA became that for me. Then it was shortly after I found a therapist who specialized in addiction and started to really kind of understand the internal issues that played into my addiction. You know, gambling for me was definitely a symptom of internal issues. And so I started working through those. And, you know, early on as I was working in my recovery, and I meant I'm talking within 30 days of my recovery, I was under that pink cloud and I was just like, oh, I've got to, I've got to just help others. I've got to find you know, and do all this. And I mean, I hit the bar, like I hit the doors running, like I, I needed to, to put my energy into something if I was going to continue moving forward. And so that is how the broke girl society started early on. And uh, thank you so much for the segue. And before we go into that, because that is why we're here, I am I am also curious, you had mentioned that that you weren't really aware of addiction around like friends and family and things like that. And yet when you when you opened up and, and offered that vulnerability to your mom and then she was like, well, I actually I know somebody who utilized this resource. Sometimes it's incredible that even though it may not be like a firsthand or even a secondhand experience, it's it's not hard to find some sense of relatability or some sense of effect uh, from gambling addiction. I would say most addictions kind of exist in that same realm. Um, and, and I'm curious when, when you were talking to your mom and, and she offered that up, I'm curious what that did for you. Uh, 
for some people, there's this kind of moment of like, wow, I didn't realize that this was so common for some people. They don't feel my experience was that I didn't feel worthy of like the compassion. I didn't feel worthy of the help. So I'm, I'm curious about your journey through reconciling that kind of unfamiliarity to all of a sudden it's not so unfamiliar. Yeah. I remember telling my mom for the first time, you know, like that was really the first moment that I had felt seen and heard in a really long time. And of course you're, you're super fearful of abandonment, right? You tell these people your deepest, darkest secret and your thoughts are, what if, what if she wants to cut ties with me? And of course, you know, with it being my mom, I knew that the possibility that was really low, like I can't say not existent, but I just knew she was the safest place for me because, you know, I was married at the time and um, I had remarried, like met and remarried during my addiction, um, which is a whole nother story in itself. But um, so I, I still, in the end, chose my mom because I knew that that was going to be the safest space for me to be able to share what was really going on with me. And like, I felt so much lighter being the most honest I'd been in a really long time, you know, but I know that she felt heavier. And so there was the burden of that, you know, the burden of putting my burdens on somebody else, um, which is a, a struggle that a lot of, especially women, you know, I can't speak for everybody and I can't speak for all women, but I know for women, because we generally take on the role of like caretaker, um, you know, we're generally trying to help other people and solve other people's issues and to have our own issues um, is a very shameful and hard thing to deal with and to, to need help to navigate them. Um, you know, it's, it's just not really easy. And then to be fearful that when we do ask for help, we're going to be rejected in some form or abandoned in some form. Like the, the fear of all that is, can be so overwhelming that a lot of times it keeps us locked into this place of not asking for help. And, you know, at, like having to, to basically come down to my knees and be like, go get into that vulnerable space and say, look, I'm really struggling here. And I know this is really hard to hear. I know this is a really heavy thing to ask of you, but I need help, you know? And, you know, of course my mom was like, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Um, and it's, I like what you said, you know, this like somebody she knew had gone through this program, been affected by this program. Cause I talk a lot about the ripple effect of when we share our stories and when we talk about uh, what we're going through and how that can ripple on and actually help other people. And so in that case, it, it did. And, you know, my mom, like I said, was had been gambling with me and she had actually pulled back because she knew she was going to be retiring soon. And it had been, you know, it had gotten a little out of hand for her as well, but she was able to kind of recognize it and pull back on her own. And we had kind of talked about it. And like I said, she thought I had pulled back too, but I hadn't. And, and as, as we kind of talk about the, the ripple effect, uh, let's talk about the Broke Girl Society. Let's talk about uh, this, this momentum, this movement that kind of started where now all of a sudden there was a, a place of empowerment to be able to talk about that vulnerability, that idea that I'm supposed to be a nurturer and here I am needing nurtured. Um, it, is, it is a unique perspective uh, that, that isn't uncommon, but not very widely talked about. Um, 
it, which is kind of women in recovery as a kind of specific demographic. So uh, talk a little bit about the Broke Girl Society, kind of how it started, what, um, what the goal of it was, and any evolution that may have happened during production. Yeah, um, the Broke Girl Society started, you know, or like I said, early on in my recovery days, like I just knew when I was sitting in that GA meeting, and there have been women that have come in since, you know, in that GA meeting, but I still felt like my needs in recovery were just more than maybe somebody who'd been in recovery 10 years, or maybe a male perspective, like I needed... I wanted that female perspective of like, because, you know, we can go back and forth and everybody's situation is going to be for them, but men and women handle things very differently. A lot of times when it comes to, you know, our feelings and, and there's so much more when it comes to women too, as far as like, you know, we have all these hormones that men don't have to deal with. And that can really be impactful as far as how we navigate recovery, right? Like, and I'm going to get into the nitty gritty here. Like we, you know, for us that are in childbearing years or whatever, and still have cycles, like the emotional impact of those cycles can really trigger whether or not you're going to like one week, you can handle things just fine, right? Like your husband and kids are fine. They're not getting on your nerves and, you know, like you can handle the day to say, but as you get closer to that time frame in your cycle, it's like, even the, the smallest things can just really set you on this emotional roller coaster. And so it was like, you could have two weeks of sobriety and then come that week before all of a sudden you can't handle anything. And so you end up breaking that two weeks of sobriety. And you'll see that a lot, like a lot of women can't get past 20 days of recovering. They're like, I don't understand why. And it's like, well, have you been tracking your cycle? Have you been really, you know, trying to understand your emotional plane during this time. And so these are things that are not talked about in recovery in general, but especially in a recovery room full of men. So I thought, you know, there's that. And then there's a lot of, of women in later years who, who never gambled until menopause struck. And that sent them on this emotional thing and, and, you know, empty nesters and, and all this stuff. And then we have the whole other aspect of women who have been traumatized by men. And then now they're being asked to be in a room with men and try and sort out their issues. And it's like, you know, so having a space that's that's female, that's female oriented or female preferred, um, just it just offers a safeness that can really nurture building those recovery steps, you know, and, and things like that. So when I was early on in those days, I just kind of recognized this need. And I don't know where it came from. Honestly, it just, I'm, you know, as far as trauma with men and, and kids and like all that. And it wasn't things that I was necessarily experiencing myself. But I mean, yes, and no, but it's still a need that I saw. And so I started looking for other women who were navigating specifically gambling recovery because I didn't struggle with alcohol or drugs or any of that. Shopping, probably, yes. But, um, and I wasn't finding women really talking about this addiction. I wasn't finding, you know, resources that were specifically for women struggling with gambling harm. And I thought, I know 
that there are women struggling with this out there. I know it, even if they're not showing up at the GA meetings and, you know, they're not showing up in the survey numbers. Like, I know it because I was sitting right next to them. I was sitting right next to the same people going through the same things that I was, even though we weren't talking about it. I would watch other women have the same behaviors while they were in the casino, you know, going through all their money and, and like, we're talking lots and lots of money. And it's like, that's not a normal, it's not normal. And so it's like, I knew that they were out there, but I wasn't seeing, I wasn't seeing it represented. And so I thought, well, do I necessarily want to be the face of problem gambling? No. Will I? Yes. You know, so that I can offer this type of thing for somebody else. And so I started off on social media doing some like small quotes and like gambling facts. And, and from there, I started getting a lot of people reaching out to me. And, you know, so I thought, well, uh, my friend Tara, who also does a podcast called Ambitious Addicts, if we can talk about it, um, she reached out to me to ask me to be on her podcast. And I loved the whole format of it. And I had been listening to a couple of the other podcasts that were out uh, that speak on gambling harm, but they were male, they were male hosts. And, you know, a lot of it was, was male, like sports betting and kind of just some different content. So I wasn't like super connected to it, but I was in a way that this is somebody talking about their problem and, and the resources on how to overcome. And so I thought I could do this. I could talk about, I could share my journey. I'm early on, like, I'm just going to record it for my own, for my own benefit. And maybe it'll help others. And so that's kind of the start of that. And when I was thinking of a name for the podcast, I was like going through all these names and something that constantly kept kept coming up in my journaling was broke um, because I was broke, like I said, mentally, physically, mentally, spiritually, every which way. And so then I, I don't know, the Broke Girl Society came to me and stuck with me and there's the history of that. And then I started really kind of ramping up, you know, on my social medias and started a Facebook group, support group for women struggling from gambling harm. And it's, it's interesting because I get messages, a lot of messages every day. And um, I'm like, I found your podcast and I'm so, you know, so grateful that I can hear these stories and that like, it's the first time I really felt that I wasn't alone in this. And yeah. So. Yeah. And and you said something interesting. Um, you said, I'm going to do this for me. Um, and I know that when you were talking about kind of the early meetings that you went to, you, you were looking for accountability, right? That motivation to kind of yes. keep going. And, and so I'm curious how podcasting kind of became something of a recovery tool for you, right? It, almost a coping skill in itself. And so I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, about that journey as well. Yeah. Uh, podcasting, it gives me a sense of accountability too, right? Like I'm, I'm coming on and I'm sharing my story and I'm talking with others who are going to this level of vulnerability. They're sharing their story with me. They're opening up. So it, it, it goes back to the accountability too, is like, I don't want to let these people down. You know, I don't, like I'm, I'm working so hard on my recovery. I'm working so hard to provide a safe space and, and, you know, to get these stories out there so that others realize no matter what their journey looks like, there's going to be a voice out there that helps them understand that they're not alone. 
And, you know, every episode I have, maybe not everybody connects with, but every episode I have, somebody has connected with. So it's really just important to me to continue doing what I'm doing, even when I've had these moments of like, do I always want, do I want to continue being Christina, the broke girl, the podcast host? Like, is gambling addiction something I want to talk about for the rest of my life? And I do have these kind of cross moments where I have to kind of be like, yes, you know, I have to remind myself. And a lot of times when I'm having these moments, you know, I'll end up getting a message or something that just reinforces the work that I'm doing and, you know, kind of reignites that fuel of just trying to spread the message and trying to advocate that there are resources, that there is help and you are not alone. Those are, those are the most important things that we as advocates can, can do is just make sure that people know people who are really, really struggling, who are having those thoughts and struggles. They, they hear something in themselves and um, whether they're listening to these podcasts or, or whatever. And so I think just knowing that it's helping others gives me a sense of accountability as well. And it feels just like a journal, but, you know, voicing it instead. Jumping forward now to July of 2022, and we are now around each other in Boston for the National Council on Problem Gambling's uh, uh, conference. And we were at a booth together, uh, the pod, a bunch of podcast hosts together, and so much fun uh, getting to meet all of these voices that I had been listening to for a little while. And one of the things that I noticed was was how many, um, particularly women, would would come up to you. And I, I, there's there's something of kind of a celebrity status uh, amongst this community um, with regards to you. And and I'm not trying to to overinflate or anything like that. But what it does seem like is that women are starting to recognize the kind of special relationship that they have with recovery for reasons that you've stated, uh, hormonal cycles and, and all of that. And that's not something that I'm going to be able to ever speak to, right? I, I, um, it's not my experience. So having somebody that can say, this is very real, this is absolutely something that is unique to this kind of side of the aisle. Um, I'm, it was really eye opening to how much that resonated and is starting to create something of a, of a movement, a, a momentum, and even dare I say a legacy of this kind of empowered structure of, of talking about this with uh, women in mind. It's not just women are included, but like specifically, this is about women's journey through recovery and as you're collecting those those stories and and allowing that space for for women to be more vulnerable and open what what sorts of things are you noticing what what is the uh, what are kind of the common grounds obviously every story is going to be somewhat unique um even very unique but what are some of the more kind of commonplace things that you hear from women Absolutely. And what's interesting is one of the most common things that I get, if you were to take, you know, everyone's stories and kind of pull out like the things that you, that women have in common, because we're all so unique and we're all so uniquely different. You know, 
Um, but one of the, the things I see the most is just overwhelm, you know, overwhelm of life, um, not feeling supported, um, having to be the caretaker of, of everyone. And that there's a commonality there, you know, and that's because the, the role of women oftentimes, you know, as a previous stated is, is the caretaker, the one that's like looking for the kids shoes and making sure the groceries are in and, and, you know, just a lot of, a lot of single mothers too, you know, who don't have anybody to share the burden of, of life with. And, and so they escape to their phones when they put the kids to bed, because that's the only way they can just like calm down for a minute. And it's, it's the same with the, whether it's a machine that's sitting in front of you or the machine in your hand, um, or whatever your, your drug of choice is when it comes to this, um, it's just, it's not asking anything of you, you know, it's not asking you what's for dinner. It's not asking you where their favorite shirt is. It's not asking you how to pay this bill. You know, it's, it's just the only thing it's asking you for is money. And, you know, as, as gamblers, we can all relate to the, the loss or value of money. And so, you know, just giving some money over, it's like you're trading this money for just some quiet time in your head. And it's, it's just such a sick relationship. It's a really, really sick relationship, but it's like the most toxic relationship you can have, right? It takes and takes and takes, never gives back, but yet you keep giving, 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 expecting it to, to give back. And it's, it's just like the most toxic of boyfriends um, or girlfriends or however you want to look at it. But so I would say the most commonality would be just overwhelm and just tired and just need a break. And that's usually where it, where it gets caught up. And then second, I would, I would say boredom, you know, um, especially with, with women older in life, you know, later in life who the kids are out of the house and, um, things are quiet and, you know, they just need to, to do something with their time. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, and when it comes to women, it's just like, we can talk about these deeper things. You know, I do these topic-based meetings in the Broke Girl Society weekly meetings in there. And I specifically went topic-based. I, you know, I wasn't the GA program I knew wasn't, I wanted more than that. And so we talk about things like, like we're, how to, how to focus on our emotional overwhelm and self-care and, you know, these things that just aren't talked about in, in your regular fellowship meetings. And so, I think that's really important and it, it just connects us all. And it's, it's, it's really a great space when you can be in a group of women and really talk about like, even if you're having relationship troubles and how that, that can derail your recovery, um, you know, just boundaries, all these different things, you know, that are, are extremely helpful in recovery. Right. And, um, and I am curious, is, is there anything that the recovery community could do as a whole. And, and obviously uh, you won't be able to speak for every woman, right? Like that, that's not, that's not the burden I'm putting on you here. Uh, but I am, I am curious if you have any insights in what the, the recovery community as a whole can do to be able to acknowledge those differences and be able to honor them in, in some way. Do you have any thoughts um, over ways to opportunities for growth in this very wide net of, of community. 
Yeah. And I think the gambling recovery community is a really great community and whole. Like really, honestly, it's, it's a beautiful community to be in. Recovery in general is a community that you want to be a part of. But um, the gambling specific recovery community is a pretty amazing group of people. Um, you know, I have had some issues with men, and it's always men who, in my experience, who don't think that that we should recover separately. I've had like, I'm not somebody that does well with confrontation anyway, part of my codependency and all that, you know, jazz, but I have really stood up to people when they say there's no reason for them to be in separate rooms. There's no reason to recover separately, you know, but th that's just absolutely not true. And I think anybody who's judging on how somebody recovers, you know, that's, that's just not right to begin with. Like everybody, everybody needs to recover the best way that's going to help them heal. Like whether it's in a room full of men and women or a room full of men or a room full of women. So I think if anything, we can just make more room for spaces that fit individual needs um, and not put everybody into this, you know, all fits one mentality, you know, because for a long time, the only recovery options were GA. And, you know, we'll be really respectful of that. And, you know, because it's, it's worked for thousands of people. It's saved so many lives. The program has worked for so long, but I'm not necessarily sure in this day and age that we're being fair to everybody, you know, by saying this is the only option, because of course, you know, you've got your smart recoveries, you've got your Dharma recoveries, you've got your celebrate recoveries, you've got all these different programs now that can be really beneficial to building your life. And so I think if anything, the recovery community as a whole can just continue to grow and be more open-minded on, on the different recovery methods. Um, and just being inclusive of everybody in recovery and everybody's needs. And, um, and that's something we can grow on in every aspect of our lives. But um, yeah, definitely making space more available, making it um, just something that everybody can feel comfortable in, you know, because the few times I've gone round and round, it just, you know, because people are so single-minded on how you can recover. Like, you just need to do this, this, and this. Get to meetings, you'll recover. Like, no, no. Like, it's more, that gives people this fear that recovery is a life sentence of meetings. And though meetings are amazing, and they are a huge tool in recovery, and they give us that accountability, um, there's so many things we can do. I would say growth is recovery and how you grow is through all different is being curious about what will help you heal and overcome and so yeah I think just inclusivity is always going to be beneficial yeah I'd agree and, and what I'm hearing is inclusivity but not just including the person but including their needs as well and and making sure that people feel honored and protected in a, in a way that they are able to kind of get to the nitty gritty and be able to say whatever this is isn't working for me and and that's 
that's not the end of the world, but I need to be able to say that to be able to figure out where to go from there, right? Like it's a it's a jumping off platform. And and I, I do think that there is a, a growing acknowledgement of that, that there isn't really like a cookie cutter way to do it. Um, and uh, at like you, right, my early recovery involved a lot of meetings, a lot of 12 step meetings. So no disrespect to that program as it as it stands, only that it's not necessarily for everybody. And that's not a deal breaker. That doesn't mean that they've recovered or that they failed at recovery. It, it's just the idea that there's there's not a great fit there, which is something uh, you and I have talked about in a, in a few different ways. So yeah. Uh, now, the last thing that I want to talk about is the at, at the conference you did a presentation with our mutual friend Kitty, uh, who's been on both of our podcasts. Uh, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed every time I've gotten to listen to her speak. But one of the things that you talked about was this idea of being brave and people coming up and saying you're so brave for sharing your story and so i'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth i, I want to instead give you the platform to kind of talk about your thoughts around that yeah um it's funny because i think throughout our lives you know certain words i feel like can define us right um and we take pause to certain words that do define us and for me, for something, you know, that kept coming up a lot, and I noticed this, like, with the fellas that I deal with, that I work with in advocacy, um, is that they weren't really getting this, and, and I'm sure they have in some aspects, but they weren't really getting this, oh my gosh, you're so brave for sharing your story. Um, because there is, you know, when you look at the gambling recovery forums, and you look at the people speaking out, it's mostly men. It's mostly men. And you know, so it's it's so much more accepted, and, and so they're not getting this, oh, you're so brave, but when I started to kind of speak more, like I was in a couple of magazines and um, doing some, some other advocacy work that, you know, through media, and I just kept getting this, oh, oh my gosh, you're so brave, you're so brave to be able to share your story, and that really affected me in the word, because I'm not offended by the word brave, like I feel like I'm brave every day tackling things that scare me, right? Like things that scare me, you know, I've, I've really discovered this empowerment. Like I'm going to figure out why this is scary to me and I'm going to, I'm going to overcome this because I can do hard things. And so, you know, when I think of brave, I think of, you know, just getting up every day and, and trying to make the best day, you know, the next right decision and things like that. But when somebody comes up to me and they say, oh, you're so brave for sharing your story about gambling addiction and that you lost all this money. It still just insinuated that there should be shame in my story, that there should, you know, that there's still a stigma of shame. And that's what I'm really, at the end of the day, the work that I'm trying to do is break the stigma of shame of gambling harm for women. And it's like, so, you know, to have a bunch of men out there sharing their stories, which I'm so grateful for, like, really, honestly, this isn't like a bash, um, you know, and then me to be treated differently like it just felt like there was there were there when you say you're brave to share your story yeah that you know that's that's true that's true there's a certain amount of truth you know it's fearful to put yourself out there and but the way that it was being come you know that it was coming across to me it was just like I'm not ashamed to share my story this isn't I'm not being brave by sharing my story like I'm just sharing my story as a person who's struggled 
And I don't want to be told I'm brave to do it because then that just, you know, still implies that shame. And that bugs me. So, you know, I don't want to be labeled as one of those people that gets hung up on a word. But I think when, when we are vulnerable, no matter our gender, no matter what we're going through, like, I think the appropriate thing to say when somebody's sharing their story is just, thank you. Like, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, instead of just insinuating that, that there's, they shouldn't be, you know, or like the norm is people don't talk about it. The idea that, that breaking a taboo somehow makes you more brave or, or that, that breaking the taboo makes you more brave than having lived through it, survived it, and been able to find some sense of management of it, right? Um, to me, that that seemed more the battle that I that I really needed to shore up some courage against. Being able to share my story, and maybe you agree, I'm, I'm only trying to relate here, right? <laughs> I'm not, again, trying to put words in your mouth, but being able to share the story, that that was the that was the benefit of that, that courage, that bravery, that, that was the moment that I could kind of bask in as opposed to being brave or feeling ashamed of it. It's like, no, look, look what I've been able to do. Like, look at the journey that I survived. Uh, I know Kitty talks a lot about people in recovery. They are warriors and yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to acknowledge the battles fought without surviving them. And I think that that's where the courage really comes into play is in the survival and the rehashing of it, the retelling of it. That's something that we get to do because of those battles. And, and so again, I, I, when I heard that at that conference, I was like, Oh, that's an interesting take. Right. So thank you for sharing that with me because it, it does paint such a good picture. Um, yeah. And so Obviously, there's there's a lot happening on top of the Broke Girl Society. You also do the Bet Free Life uh, with Brian Hatch, and I, what happened there? How did that how did that come into being? Yeah, uh, Brian Hatch is a is a cool cat. He um, reached out to me over Twitter when I started posting my episodes um, or you know entering my episodes on Twitter, and he was like, "Oh, hey, there's another." person talking about gambling harm and not only that it's a woman talking about gambling harm and so we kind of built up a friendship over twitter like i said this community is so amazing um you know and so we started going back and forth and he was saying that he was thinking about doing a video format of the podcast and i said yeah me too you know because i thought that would be be helpful for people who maybe who don't listen to podcasts because I would get people are like, what's a podcast? You know, and I'm like, well, it's basically a radio show that's uh, you can stop and go as you want. And so so I thought, you know, maybe going into the YouTube platform would be helpful. And so as we started talking, I said, well, let's I said, well, let's team up. We can do a male female perspective. And that way it's it gives people watching kind of both takes on it. And so he was like, yeah. And you know, we had a few setbacks, but once we got started, it's, it's been, it's been really good. And, um, we've gotten a lot of feedback and, and I think the one thing about this community that, that can be a little bit frustrating is that it takes, it takes a lot to 
kind of figure out if you're doing okay, if that makes sense, because this community is so quiet when it comes to like, hey, I like this, or hey, I don't like this. So, you know, we kind of struggle a little bit with that, but um, like, are people liking this? But it seems like they are, and we get a lot of messages, and, and you know, that's the thing about podcasting and what you and I both do and, and Hatch and everybody. You know, I think there's like 20 podcasts right now that talk about gambling harm and and a few of those are actually done by clinicians, um, which is extremely helpful. And what's so great about podcasting or the YouTube format is that it gives people a taste of recovery without actually having to walk through the doors of a meeting or jump on Zoom meeting for the first time. You know, it kind of gives them an idea of like what to expect, like what it could look like for them. And that's why I think podcasting is so important to the recovery world in general because it, it can kind of take that fear out of them a little bit. It can kind of help them, you know, it plants the seed in the back of their mind if they're not ready to fully commit to a program of recovery or they're not ready to fully walk away from gambling. Um, it starts to kind of plant those seeds of like, my life could be better. And I know that there's there's ways out there for it to be better. And you know, it, it kind of helps guide them to what's hopefully the start of their recovery journey. And so that's why, you know, when we teamed up to do that, I thought this is really great because he is the OG of the podcasting for gambling harm. He started, I think, seven, eight years ago now. And so he, he was the first one. He was one of the first podcasts I listened to. And so it was great that he even wanted to, to team up with me and, and do this. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. We're working hard at it. Yeah. And, and I, I so appreciate those efforts, uh, from both of you, as well as, uh, like you said, the dozens almost of other podcasts that are really looking to shine a light on gambling harm and the hope that can come from that. Like that, yeah. that's kind of the big thing is yes, let's, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Let's share the details and all that. And at the same time, here we are. There's there's still consequences. There's still uh, some fallout for a lot of us uh, that we're dealing with, that we're managing, but we're managing. We are, um, and that still creates that beacon of hope that it is survivable, that it is relatable, and and yeah, that that that's where the that's where the courage and the bravery take place. And um, so. Any final thoughts? Uh, I would love for people to know where to find you uh, and all your resources. Um, and then any final thoughts that you have before we, we call it a day. Yeah. And before I get into that, I want to just say thank you again for inviting me on and for the work that you do. Um, you're very, very involved in the gambling harm community. And and I am so appreciative of that as well. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me at Christina thebrokegirlsociety.com. They can also go to my website, thebrokegirlsociety.com. It's got links to both my podcast and the Bet Free Life on there as far and resources, you know, as far as numbers to call, um, people to reach out to, you know, for that information as well. So if they want to find the Facebook group, they can go to Facebook, uh, the Broke Girl Society, take you to the, to the main page. And then in that page, there's a link to the group. Um, it is per female preferred. We do have a handful of men in the group and 
um, I'm cool with that as long as, as long, cause there are men that just tend to do better with female energy. So I'm open to that as well, as long as you're respectful that it is a female preferred and, you know, everything's encouraging and well-behaved. Um, so, cause I, I have a hard time like turning anybody down, but it's, it's gotta be the right, but it's also a space that I take very seriously about being safe for women. So, yeah. Oh, and social media, they can find me pretty much TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, which I'm kind of, yeah, on Instagram. You'll see me, catch me there. And then Twitter, you can catch me all at the Broke Girl Society. Well, Christina, I, I really do appreciate your time. Um, and are you, are you going to the conference this year? I think so. I think so. Um, I've got... I presented for two panels. We'll see. We'll see if they get picked up. Um, but I, I, the plan is yes, hopefully. All right. Well, hopefully, yes. And hopefully I'll be able to see you there. And, yeah. Uh, again, want to really thank you. And let's make sure to keep in touch. For sure. I really want to thank Christina for her time. And thank you all for joining us for what will hopefully be a great season four as always voices the podcast is brought to you by voices of problem gambling recovery whose mission it is to educate advocate and promote recovery you can find more information from them on vpgr.net we've got some great stories uh in store for you this season so please join us for voices the podcast